Ephesians 4, 1 through 13. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In the summer of 2012, I was on a mission trip with some students uh, from my youth group when I was at Park Street Brethren Church, the youth pastor there for a while. We were driving down the road when one of the student leaders on this trip pipes up and asks me, when did Jesus die the second time? She said, you know, I know that he rose from the grave and all, but he had to have died again at some point, right? I mean, he's not here or anywhere else that I know of walking around on earth. Now, this girl had actually grown up in church all of her life. She was even actually the daughter of one of the staff people of the church, but somehow she had missed the bit of the gospel about Jesus' ascension into heaven to the right hand of the Father, that Jesus is risen and living in a physical resurrected body and reigning at the side of God the Father. The more that I thought about it since, the more I realized how unsurprising it really is that she would have missed that. I mean, we really don't talk about it all that much. She just came to the logical conclusion with the information that she had. But it's actually a crucial part of our gospel, our good news, that the Lord of the universe humbled himself to come down and live as one of us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. That he would take on all of our sin and brokenness to die the worst death imaginable on a cross to forgive our sin. And that in death, his perfect love confronted and overcame all the powers of sin and death and proved them defeated when he was resurrected into life. And that it was this Jesus that he was then ascended to the right hand of God, God in heaven, just as he had descended in the incarnation. And there he reigns on the throne. In some profound way, Jesus' incarnation, his cross, his resurrection, and his ascension, they're inseparably linked. And yet, we talk about the ascension bit remarkably little. So, I want to steal a line from our passage in Ephesians this morning and ask the question, what does it mean that he ascended? Now, when Paul talks about this in Ephesians, he takes that question as an opportunity to remind us that Jesus descended, uh, thinking like his incarnation, his death at that point. He's riffing off of a passage from the Psalms here to talk about spiritual gifts. And he seems to take it for granted that the Ephesians understand the transcendence of Christ. But let's take a moment this morning to mull on what Paul takes for granted here. The ascension, it's not just 
a doctrinal curiosity. It actually matters. Let's talk about why. And what is he doing up there? Jesus' ascension to the Father, it matters for God's mission. Jesus has returned to union with the Father and is seated at the right hand of the throne, a place of supreme honor, but it's also a role of cosmic importance. While we don't know where the throne room is on the map, right? It's like you can't just go up far enough and you get into heaven. Um, we don't know where it is. We do know what he's doing there. The first thing we can know for sure from the New Testament is that he is reigning as Lord. Jesus is reigning as Lord. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it reminds us that Jesus has been elevated to the highest place of honor, crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, because he humbled himself to the lowest place. You know, in 1 Peter 3, verse 22, it similarly notes for us that all angels and powers and authorities have been made subject to Christ's authority. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, it indicates that that process is not yet complete. Speaking of Christ's resurrection as first fruits, Paul comments, he says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be defeated is death. Now, this reference may not land for some of you. Uh, in the Marvel superhero movies, I'm a huge fan of Marvel. Uh, there, there's a character called Captain Marvel. She's a pilot who ends up in this kind of alien-related accident, ends up getting these cosmic-level powers of harnessing and being able to shoot energy blasts at other people. She's way more powerful than most of the other heroes, but uh, she wasn't around for most of the movies. And so when it gets around to like an Avengers Infinity War, an Avengers Endgame, when they are uh, fighting against Thanos, this like uh, cosmic level threat, when she finally shows up again after decades of absence, they ask her where in the world she's been. And she makes this comment. She says, you know, there's a lot of other planets in the universe. And unfortunately, they didn't have you guys. Basically, she says, while they've been, been protecting the Earth, she's been protecting the whole galaxy. Now, this is not a perfect comparison, obviously. But I, I share that to, to share this idea, right? That Christ is reigning over the entirety of the created order of all heavens and earth. It makes me wonder what kind of cosmic level battles Jesus is engaged in against evil that we are missing out on, not able to perceive it in its grandeur, right? The point here is that Jesus has been crowned as king of kings, ruling over the entire created order. Not just earth, not just humanity, not just our galaxy, but the entirety of everything ever created. And he has gone ahead of us in glory to subdue the enemy. So Jesus is the king of kings. He reigns as Lord. But that's not even all that he's doing. He is also mediating as our great high priest. Romans 8.34 tells us that Jesus intercedes for us at the throne, offering prayer and sacrifice on our, on our behalf. And in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 6, it tells us that he serves as a perfect high priest who mediates a new and better covenant for us. And Jesus isn't just 
any king. He's the good shepherd, the leader who so identifies with his people, that worries over us, prays over us, does all that he needs to do in order to make provisions for us. The author in Hebrews, Hebrews explains this by reminding us that because of the incarnation, Jesus can empathize with us in our temptation and our weakness. He knows what it's like to be human. What a wonderful mediator to have. You might imagine someone sinless and perfect to be stuffy, holier than thou, a distant sort of person. But Jesus never gives any such impression. Neither in the Gospels nor in our own lives, in our own experiences encounter with him. I am so constantly baffled by the tenderness and the grace that Jesus has offered to me in my own failings. It's not that he overlooks sin, right? It's not that he excuses it, and yet somehow he loves me just the same. There's a song I really love uh, by a band called Enter the Worship Circle. And uh, I'm forgetting the name of the song, but the, the verse goes like this. It says, when I read all of his promises, I think he must be out of his head. Or it's just that he loves me and I got the best end of a deal. Why don't we go with he loves me? Yeah, he loves me. His love is truly amazing, isn't it? So Jesus reigns as king, as Lord of lords, and he mediates for us as our high, great high priest. And that, that leads us to think of his next role at the throne, which is a slightly more passive role. Restoring humanity into God's image. You know, we're told in Scripture that because Jesus ascended in a transformed spiritual yet holy physical body, our corruptible bodies may be redeemed and transformed in the same way to be united with God. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, it tells us to wait and hope for Christ's revelation to the world because we will then share in His glory. In Revelation 3, 21, Jesus tells us that those who endure this broken world in faithfulness will one day sit with him on the throne. I say this is a passive work that Jesus does because there's not any action he's doing to restore us now, but simply by virtue of his resurrected body being present in the heavenly realms, Jesus has paved the way for the material to be married with the immaterial in a holy new way. Just think about how amazing that is, that his physical body is in the heavenlies. In Christ, physical, material, human flesh is in the heavenly realm, not his disembodied spirit, his physical body. It has already been accomplished, and we await the day when we will experience it as well. But there's a final role that Jesus is preparing for as well. Jesus is preparing to judge. Now finally, Peter testifies in Acts chapter 10, verse 42, that Jesus has ascended to the throne and has been appointed to judge all of creation, the living and the dead. In Acts 10, 42, it says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of living and dead. Now, if we think of judgment as bad news, it's likely because many of us live very comfortable lives, and that judgment might feel like a threat to that. But 
But just judgment is crucial for those who have been abused and marginalized, who really know the reality of what it means that we live in a broken world. Many are crying out for justice to finally be served so that wrongs can be set right. I was even speaking uh, recently, it was, uh, this was on a Facebook comment thread of all places that um, uh, I was engaged in kind of this back and forth with someone who was a non-Christian and they were saying, you know, the, the thing that they just couldn't understand, they couldn't wrap their heads around about Christianity was that there would be people who, who believe that Jesus just forgives them for uh, whatever and they can get to heaven and they haven't done anything to, to set right the things that they have done wrong. Um, and I had to respond and say, we don't believe that either. That's, that's cheap grace is what we call that. What we believe is that Jesus has offered us mercy so that it is possible for us to come face to face with our own sin and to repent, to confess, and to put it behind us, that he enables us because of his forgiveness to live transformed lives, to deal with our sin, not to just you know ignore it and pretend like it didn't happen, but to truly repent, to be set right, to seek and actually pursue the good. That's the good news of the gospel is that Jesus will finally deal with evil. And yet he has also made a way for us as sinful and broken people to be transformed and saved in the midst of that. In Revelation chapter 5 and onward, it gives us this jarring visual of this as, as Jesus is pictured as a lamb who is slain, who ascends to the throne as the only one worthy to open this scroll that symbolizes the wrath poured out in judgment on the wickedness of the world. And that in itself is a profound statement, right? Because the only one worthy to judge the wickedness of the world is our sinless Lord, who endured both all of the temptation of humanity and all of our sin and scorn while offering to us purity and forgiveness and mercy. This Jesus is ascended and seated at the heavenly throne. Jesus, the King of kings, the great high priest, restored humanity, the true and just judge. And it matters that he ascended because Jesus is the only one worthy to take up any of those roles. It is good news for all the heavens and the earth that Jesus is ascended and exalted. But that also means something for us, for our role in the world. Interestingly, just about every time that the New Testament writers talk about Jesus' exaltation or ascension, it always seems to be linked with our response in unity, our maturing into Christ-likeness, and our shared mission. We saw it in Ephesians 4. In verse 10, it says, He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So while Jesus reigns and rules in the heavenlies, subduing evil, preparing the way. The Holy Spirit has been sent to rule in us, 
calling us to God, enabling us to commune with God, conforming us to the image of Christ, convicting us unto confession and repentance. And this is all so that we can reach unity and faith, become mature, to become whole in Christ-likeness. Now, we can have a whole separate message or Bible study on, on spiritual gifts and the, the fivefold list presented here in Ephesians, or even the additional list in Romans and 1 Corinthians. But for now, I think it's sufficient for us to note that what Christ is accomplishing through his reign in heaven, he also means to accomplish in and through us on earth in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is king. We likewise, through the Spirit, are called and adopted as sons and daughters. Jesus is the great high priest. He intercedes for us. He mediates for us. So also, through the Spirit, we are able to commune with God. It's the priesthood of believers. The Spirit enables us to pray. Jesus is restored humanity. Through the Spirit, we are conformed into Christ's likeness to bear the fruit of Christ's Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus is the final judge, the true and just judge. In the Spirit, we are given sweet conviction to turn away from our sin, to recognize evil and sin within ourselves, to confess and repent and put it aside so that we can embrace transformed life in him. In this way, Jesus has not left us alone, but he's somehow closer and more present than ever through the Holy Spirit. All at once, Jesus is transcendent, and imminent. He's ruling in the cosmos with absolute authority and yet reconciling us to himself. How amazing it is that this Jesus would want a relationship with us. You know, I saw a red carpet interview one time with, uh, with Hugh Jackman. And his interesting seconds into this interview, Hugh Jackman stopped and he started asking about this reporter's physical fitness. Random question, right? But it turns out that Hugh Jackman used to be a gym teacher. And, and back in the day, this reporter had actually been in his class. And so now, you know, worldwide fame and Hugh Jackman, one, still remembers this guy. And two, cares enough to ask about the guy's health and his physical education. I just think that's amazing. Jesus has been exalted over all things, all power, all glory, all authority is given to him. Yet he still knows us, wants us, cares for us, mediates for us, covenants with us, woos us, restores us, redeems us, reconciles us. May we ever respond to him with willing hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you that you're good. You are good. We know 
what good is because we know you. And Jesus, as you reign and you rule, we pray, Lord, that you might accomplish your work quickly. That in the here and now, we might experience the inbreaking of your kingdom come and your will done here on earth as it is in heaven. And that wherever it's possible, through the power of your spirit, that we might be answers to that prayer, to bear your good news to the world. And we pray, Lord, that you would return quickly, that you would, uh, you would finish what you started, Lord. That we might see your return and welcome you with joy. In the meantime, Lord, would you give us strength and sustain us? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you help us to give you the glory that you deserve? We pray that in your wonderful and your holy name. Your name, O oh Lord, Jesus. Amen.